WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 78, all about Two Towers, extended edition, disc 2, being the 78th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today we are still covering Two Towers Extended Edition with Norman and Cassandra of Lord of the Rings Minute. This is part two of that conversation because, plot twist, I have a lot of feelings about Faramir. And there was also just, in general, a lot to discuss. So this is part two. Go back and listen to part one that came out last week if you haven't already. And then another quick note before we get started with this episode This is the last episode of 2020. Congratulations. We did it, y'all. Oh, my God. Congratulations. Of course, I'm recording this, uh, I don't know, five days before the actual end of 2020. So who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But anyway, last week I shared how you can start the new year off with Theoden saying, so it begins. However, I also have another suggestion that's more appropriate for 2020, I believe. If you would like to ring in the new year and say goodbye to 2020 with... It's done. Yes, Mr. Frodo, it's over now. Then listen up. You can start the theatrical edition of Return of the King at 9.11pm and 55 seconds. Or if you have the box set of extended edition, you can start disc two at 10.30pm and 12 seconds. Now, unfortunately, I don't own the digital version of extended edition, so you people will just have to figure that math out yourselves. But have fun. Happy New Year, and I will see you on the other side. So the next extended scene is dwarf women during the dwarf women scene, I guess. It's in between one of the many times that Aragorn and Eowyn smile at each other in slow motion as they're laughing and flirting with each other. Theoden goes, it's been such a long time since I've seen my niece smile. She's had a very sad upbringing because her dad died and then her mom died of grief. And then she had to sit there and watch me like wither away because I was stupid. And it's been very sad for her. This changes so much the glance that Aragorn gives Eowyn because in the theatrical edition, They're laughing about Gimli and it's slow motion, having a good time. And then he is like kind of reminded of of Arwen. And then we go into the the flashbacks and whatnot with Arwen. But here, when he looks at her, it's it comes off a lot more like a look of pity and like, oh, I feel so sorry for her. I'm going to be nice to her. Yeah, I think, I don't know, because when we were rewatching it in preparation for this, I was kind of like joking about how Theoden is like the worst wingman because he like brings the mood down so much. He does. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I think, I think Aragorn, I don't know that it's a look of pity, maybe like sympathy because like Aragorn also, you know, lost his parents at a young age and was raised by his Mm -hmm. uncle, question mark. Uncle dad. Uncle, uncle Elrond. (laughs) You know, I actually, I did actually write that down too. I was like, or is this a, like, is he able to connect with her more since he also has this background of like, both of my parents died when I was young. I think it's both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're an orphan? I'm an orphan. You're an orphan. Of course, I'm an orphan. Nice. (laughs) High five. (laughs) 
and then we have so actually you know what i think i'll I take it back remember how i said the scene with gandalf was the scene i hated the most this next scene i think i hated the most uh so this is an added scene one of the dunedine it is so cringy i can't Still, like I couldn't what like I watched it the one time, and then when I was watching it again to take notes, I had to like look away and like not watch it the full time. Is this her cooking? Yeah. So yeah. She, so <laughs> oh, they're man. they're stopping for a break, and she comes over with some stew and is like, "Do you want something to eat?" And he's like, "Of course." So he takes it and he like takes a spoonful of something that looks disgusting it looks like raw chicken still like it hasn't been cooked at all and he takes a bite and has this moment where he's like oh no this is terrible but aragorn (laughs) is such a good man and he swallows it and pretends to like it because he doesn't want to hurt her feelings and she's so close to him she's so happy like the blocking of this scene she is just like all up in his business she stands so close to him Oh my like God. the shot that's like from his perspective, she looked a reasonable distance away. But the shot, like the the camera shots from behind her, she is so close to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a moment where she goes to turn around, and Aragorn like throws the stew away, but she turns back, and so he has to like it like sloshes all over his hands, and he's like burning himself <laughs> <laughs> with the hot stew, trying to be like, mm-hmm, it's great. And then poor Aragorn, because he eats it all while she's still standing. Right God, there. she she stands there, like watches him eat. Anyway, so Eowyn turns around. And she's like, "Oh yeah, I I just remembered. My uncle says that you fought with my grandfather, but that can't be true because you must be nearly sixty. And Aragorn like cringes, and she's like seventy, eighty, <laughs> and he he like embarrassedly admits. 87 and (laughs) and she kind of has this moment of like oh oh then my attraction to you is slightly illegal (laughs) this is a little weird now she's into it no she she, she, i feel like it gets she's just like oh so you're like old old oh oh, you are you're an old man okay (laughs) yeah What's funny about that is that, like, she should have guessed higher to start with because Theoden is like seventy. Theoden's sixty something. No, yeah, you're right, seventy something. I think because uh, Theoden's like seventy and uh, Denethor is like pushing ninety. Ninety, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I just hate it. I hate it. It's so cringy, and I also just don't. So yeah, so she says it like makes me oh. laugh every time. It's one of the things that makes me laugh the most. <laughs> Uh, I, it's just so much so I'm terrible with secondhand embarrassment. It's why I can't watch The Office. Mm. So this was just so terrible for me of like, sh- her cooking is so bad, but Aragorn is trying to be so nice to her. <laughs> her cooking is terrible. She's a, she's a noble. <laughs> she's never had to serve her. Yeah, anything. she's never cooked in her life. Exactly. Oh, my God. Who let her do this? Oh, my God. They were like, you're a woman. And you can see that there's like other people in the background that are just like, no. Yeah, because Gimli's like, oh, no, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. he already found out from one of the other people here. I was going to say, word's gotten around, and Aragorn just hadn't heard yet. And he didn't warn his bro. Come on. Oh, you know God. you know, Gimli warned Legolas, but not Aragorn, like on purpose. Aragorn, yeah. oh, I don't think he warned either one of them. He wanted to see if Legolas would even try human food <laughs> out here. That would be funny. 
Oh, I think he would he would have told Legolas the opposite. He would have been like, <laughs> her stew's really good. You should try it. <laughs> oh, this is, this is the best thing I've had since I left the Lonely Mountain. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, yeah, so Eowyn is like, oh, then you must be one of the Dunedain. I thought your race has had died out. And he's like, nope, it's just me now, I guess. Thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, because we don't get any any Duna showing up in in these movies. You're right, like they do in the book. <sighs> okay, yeah. So that so that scene ends finally. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, and then now we cut. We go back to where we pick up in theatrical edition, where it goes from Theoden and Aragorn looking at each other, smiling and laughing, and then we get this impression that that moment reminds Aragorn of Arwen and then later that night he sits there and like dreams of her and they have a I still don't exactly understand the physics of what happens she just shows up in the dream but it's fine (laughs) elf I don't know what elves can do does anyone well I mean at at least Elrond and Galadriel are telepathic maybe Arwen is too I know yeah it's whatever and anyway yeah so we get this impression in the theatrical edition that Aragorn is like, oh, right. Yeah, I I kind of have a girlfriend, even though she's going to the Undying Lands. I still I have a girlfriend. And so he remembers her. So to me, it seems a lot more disconnected here. So I see why they cut all of this stuff with Eowyn, because it flows a lot better in the theatrical edition, at least for me, as opposed to them like having this terrible stew. And then and then like several minutes later, Aragorn is dreaming of Arwen. He's like, at least Arwen can cook. Who can blame him? <laughs> He's like, I'm dreaming of literally anything that tasted better than whatever she did. <laughs> uh, and then actually the part of the scene that is extended is later on in the scene where Elrond and Aragorn are having a conversation. And Elrond is like, she stays for you. And we see Aragorn storm off, which I will, I will always take Aragorn storming off. And... Arwen sees him and is like, oh, are you trying to slip away? And he's like, I'm not coming back. And she's like, what do you mean? You're very skilled on the field. You're not going to die. And he's like, that's not what I mean. And then their conversation starts with what we see in the theatrical edition of Aragorn being like, you have to go to the Undying Lands. I'm not going to ask you to stay. You belong with your people. And Arwen is like, okay, I'll go, I guess. But you're going to keep my necklace anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. He tries to ghost her. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he should have just can you imagine though if he just leaves doesn't say anything and just just never return to rivendell again you know if they if they <laughs> kept the if they kept the whole arwen shows up at helm's deep instead of haldir thing oh my god this i think this scene between the two of them in oh. the form that exists in the extended would have stayed as is yeah that's a good point mm-hmm. yeah that's that's awesome um I do I do like this scene. Uh it, I mean it doesn't like in terms of like content it doesn't really add that much to to the story, but I do like it cuz it flows a lot better because in the theatrical edition we see Elrond and Aragorn talking and then it's a very abrupt cut to Arwen being like, "No, you don't know what you're talking about." And it's very it's very sharp. So this yeah. this does flow a lot better. Time-wise, I don't even actually think that this scene with Aragorn and Arwen happens immediately after the Elrond thing. I think it happens very early the next morning. Yeah. I think there's time in between. Yeah. 
Um, oh, I thought it was that he he and Elrond are talking, and then he storms off, and as he's walking away, Arwen finds him. I've always taken it as the next morning when the rest of the Fellowship is already ready to go, or like getting ready to go, and Aragorn's just trying to oh. get to everybody else before he runs into Arwen. Cause she, yeah, because she does say, like, oh, you're trying to slip off without me noticing. Yeah. Yeah, um, I can see that. Also, also, I think this scene makes Aragorn look like a slightly <laughs> person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, 100%, because he and Elrond are talking, and he he storms off when he doesn't like what Elrond is saying anymore. So in the theatrical edition, when it just just cuts, you're like, okay, Aragorn understood what Elrond was saying, and he respected that. But here, he's like mad about it. Yeah, because he's like he's mad about it, and then he like thinks about it in like until like the wee hours of the morning, and then he's like, you know what? He was right. I guess I'm just gonna leave my girlfriend I'm, I'm and just not tell her that I'm that we're breaking her. up. <laughs> right, I'm just gonna ghost her and let Elrond deal with that. It would have been, oh, man. I do really wish now that like they had kept this part. He ghosts her, and then she shows up at Helmsteep, and she's like, "I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me, right? Surprise, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but alas, that's not what happens. So our next uh, extended scene is at Helm's Deep when everyone arrives, uh, the like regular people of Rohan, the soldiers haven't shown up yet after the battle. And it's literally a five second moment of them being like, hey, Eowyn, where should we put these potatoes? And she's like, put them in the caves. And that's what was cut. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, just a mention of caves before they matter to the plot, I guess. You you couldn't have kept in five seconds of a woman being in a leadership position. Right? Like doing what she's <laughs> supposed to be doing. Oh, my God. It just made me laugh. I was like, it was literally five seconds. I think you could have kept that in. Like, did it add a lot to the story? No. But like, it at least shows Eowyn doing something. Whatever. Fine. <laughs> so our next scene that's extended is Window on the West. <sighs> Uh, okay, so what happens is, uh, for, what's his name? Theramir <laughs> tells, I swear I'm not normally this bad with the names. I don't know why I am tonight, but I am. Theramir tells Frodo and Sam, Boromir died. And Frodo's like, what? What happened? And Boromir's I mean, Theramir, oh my God. Theramir is like, I wish you, like, I thought you would know because you're apparently his friend. And Frodo... Is like, no, we have no idea. You should tell us what happened. And Faramir says his this is yeah, what we're like we were talking earlier, um, that his the horn of Gondor showed up broken six days ago. And we have this flashback scene. It's very like haunting and eerie, and it almost looks like it was something because I think this is also how it's implied in the book is that the boat with Boromir's body washes up and they're all so like shocked by it that they get this impression almost that it's a ghost or they're all dreaming or hallucinating and it's kind of like that in this moment in this scene yeah, too. I, I take it in the movie as a as a as Faramir remembering a dream. Mm, before finding yeah. the horn? Or? Yeah, either before finding the horn or a dream he started having after he found the horn. Yeah. It's been six days. I mean like nightmare of finding your brother's corpse might be pretty fresh. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But trauma's pretty pretty in there by now yeah so he explains what yes we have this very eerie scene it's very like foggy very ghost-like of of sean bean he's back (laughs) in a boat and he's dead (laughs) 
I think that's actually uh, the Silicon Double and not Sean Bean for that filming of that, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Yeah. I was wondering, yeah, like, do they just be like, hey, scene bean, can you come over? We got to film you as a dead body. Sean Bond. (laughs) That's my, those are my favorite pronunciations of his name. You can either say it scene bean or Sean Bond. (laughs) Right. These words are spelt the same. Why don't they sound the same? No. I know. Oh, my God. Faramir says what happened. He says his horn washed up and he was dead. And then he does this dramatic reveal and says he was my brother. And he we get a close up of those sad, as I'm going to say several times throughout the next couple minutes, those sad Faramir eyes. And he like chokes up as he says he was my brother. (sighs) And it's just a punch in the gut. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Sure is. I think it does a really good job because, like, for most of Fellowship, like, the audience has been, like, conditioned to, like, not like Boromir as much because he's, like, mean to Frodo and stuff. Um, And then when he, like, sacrifices himself for Merry and Pippin, like, you're like, okay, well, that's cool. Like, he redeemed himself. Um, But then, like, adding the fact that, like, his, I don't know, like, including his family, like, it humanizes him. Yeah, yeah. it, 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 it strengthens that I think connection to Boromir um, throughout the rest of these movies because, like you know, in the Return of the King, you're dealing with his dad um, and like all the repercussions of Boromir dying there too. So Oof. I think it like his presence is still felt in the the movies, which I like a lot. Yeah, we get this scene that <laughs> I just screamed like the whole time, and I just. <laughs> Like I, uh, it, it, like it, it pains, it pains me. Like in, a, I mean, like in a good way. So okay, so 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 this scene, it's called the Sons of the Steward. It's a brand new scene, not in the theatrical edition at all. Again, I understand why it was cut because it, it's a very long scene and it doesn't have much to do with the main plot. Whew. Okay, so yes, so we have this flashback to Osgiliath and before. Uh, everyone went to Rivendell for the council and before they set off on this quest and they have just taken Osgiliath back. Boromir is like, the city is ours again. And everyone's like, Boromir, Boromir, Boromir. <laughs> and it's it's also such a dude bro moment because later on they're like, ales all around. And the guys around him are like, yeah. Break out the ale. These men are thirsty. So, uh, yeah, so we, we see Faramir. Oh, my God. He's so happy. And it it hurts me. It hurts me because of, like, what I know happens, you know? And to see how far both he and Boromir, you know, have fallen. Hmm. So he's very happy. And he runs over and he hugs his brother. And Boromir is such a good big brother. And he's like, oh, little brother. And just stabbed me in the heart already. <laughs> So they get a drink to toast. By the way, the beer that they get, it's like all foam. Yeah. And so they're toasting and cheersing and they're happy. And then Faramir notices Denethor is here. Both of their expressions are like, ah, great. It's <laughs> I, it's like, I don't know, you're at Thanksgiving and then the like estranged uncle who posts crazy conspiracy theories on Facebook that you haven't seen in a while like shows up and you're like i didn't think he was coming great (laughs) denethor 
praises Boromir, of course, his favorite son, and is like, Boromir, you did such a good job. I love you the most. His only son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And even Faramir, Faramir, like, stays back. He's like, I'm not going over there. I'm not going to talk to them. Then Boromir is again he's such a good brother big brother and it's like oh but Faramir was also like it wasn't just me Faramir did a lot and this is when they're like how many how many times can we have Denethor insult Faramir in this three minute scene let's start that count now and it's so painful every time Denethor is like Faramir let the city be taken (sighs) just insults him a lot And Faramir keeps trying to stand up for himself. It's not working. Boromir keeps trying to stand up too. And then eventually Boromir storms off. And Faramir, I mean, Denethor, hang on, what am I trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) And Denethor follows Boromir. Yeah, Denethor follows Boromir and they have this conversation off to the side. And, oh, that's right. Yeah, Denethor says, he says, I know Faramir's uses and they are few. Mm -hmm. Again, just stabs me in the heart. And and Denethor's like, but never mind this random kid who's not my son. Um, (laughs) My only son, what I would like you to do is go to Rivendell because we have news that this weapon. I can't remember. Does he say like, do they know at this point that it is the one ring? Yes. Denethor knows what it is. Definitely. Okay. Calls it Isildur's Bane, I think, in the the scene in this flashback. Yeah. Which they know is the one ring. Okay. Because Denethor. Denethor has seen enough through the Palantir by this point to know. That's right, yeah. Uh, not, not that his Palantir makes an appearance in the movies, and I still think it should have. Hmm. But the yeah, and then he he like wants to send Boromir to go get this thing. And Boromir is like, Isildur's Bane? Hell no. <laughs> yeah. So this was something that it did surprise me a lot of like, Boromir turns down this mission and he's like, I'm not going to, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to do that. I don't want us to take this weapon. That surprised me a lot because literally the moment Boromir walks on screen in in Fellowship of the Ring, he is like, I want it. (laughs) Give it to me. So it really shows like how far he falls in Fellowship. Yeah. Faramir steps up and is like, oh, well, if someone needs to go to Rivendell, how, how about I go? And I gasped at this moment Denethor says, a chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor, to show his quality. And I I gasped so loud because I had, you know, having seen the theatrical edition first, this is something that Faramir says. And of course, like, uh, you know, watching the movies, I have I have the context from the books that like, oh, he's only doing this for his dad, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that like, this is literally what Denethor says in a like mocking tone to him. And then Faramir says it word for word later on is so good. I don't want to say good because it, it hurts it's so me. Good. But... It's so good. This one scene does so much for movie, <laughs> movie Faramir's portrayal. Yeah. This one thing. It, it really does change a lot. Yeah. And so he said, so Denethor is like, no, Boromir's going to go because he is my firstborn son and he will not fail me. Unlike other people. <laughs> Boromir is perfect. <laughs> the, the Faramir, the Faramir sad eyes. Did you know that this scene was coming or, or did it like blindside you? I knew that there was a scene with Faramir and Boromir. Um, somewhere in Two Towers because I think I had seen like 
behind the scenes stuff or things that mentioned that, oh, there's Boromir in like Boromir is in two towers at some point. So I knew that there was a flashback scene of sorts. I will say having it when you watch theatrical edition, it's very obvious where Faramir is having a flashback because when it happens in theatrical before I watched extended I was like oh that's obviously where they're gonna put the scene with Boromir and Faramir it's obviously goes right here so yeah yeah there's another place in the movie where a flashback was originally too in the theatrical version of Two Towers and they moved it into Return of the King the prologue scene of Return of the King was originally going to be a flashback when Frodo uses the name Smeagol for the first time it was originally planned to be a flashback there Oh, you know what? That makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it just slows the whole thing, everything down if you put a flashback there. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so Boromir goes off and he he and Faramir look at each other very sad and Boromir's like, remember this day, brother? He rides off and that was the last time, you know, we obviously know that that's the last time Faramir is ever going to see Boromir. Mm -hmm. And... It hurts me, you know? It hurts me good. What did I write? So here's so but but so here here's the thing. Here's the thing. A lot of people are like, "Oh, the movies redeem Boromir. Boromir is so much better in the movies, especially this one scene in Two Towers." And the scene doesn't really it doesn't do much for me in the way of Boromir. It just makes me all it does is make me sadder for Faramir because <laughs> like not only is his dad terrible to him, but the one like good thing in his life is gone. And it's not even like, oh, his brother died. Boromir was such a good brother to him. Mm-hmm. And that just makes it mm-hmm. all the much worse that like we see this relationship between them and then we know what's lost. Right. And just think about how much worse Denethor is to Faramir without Boromir around, oh. even before he knows that Boromir has died. God. Like it recontextualizes so much, like between the theatrical and then the extended, of why Faramir is acting this way across this movie. Because he's he's grief stricken having just learned that Boromir is dead. He's probably been even more emotionally abused the last year than normal because Boromir's gone. That's so sad. So like Faramir is just at the very end of like all of his ropes. And then the influence of the ring is here. Right. To like pull on all that grief and despair and loathing that's like building for himself yeah. because that's the ring's power it pulls out the worst of someone so i do agree i do agree with that my issue though because everyone has told me like oh just wait until you all of my complaints about about movie faramir just wait till you watch extended edition it's so much better it's not any better because <laughs> So like one, again, I just feel sadder. I just feel more sadness. Um, The thing is, is that so like, yes, this does provide it provides an explanation for why he acts the way he acts. What it doesn't do is excuse Peter Jackson's choices to change it from the book. And there was literally a like a trivia that I read like on IMDb about like Peter Jackson felt that it would be more authentic for Faramir's character if he gave into the ring. And I'm like, you know better than Tolkien, Peter Jackson? I don't think so. No. <laughs> so it ultimately comes down to I just can't like I just like I don't I don't think that Faramir's daddy issues excuses his actions for taking the ring because I know I know who he is. At his heart, you know, that in that scene um, uh, before they 
before all of this when he's first introduced and he's talking about the the soldier and his life and like the ethics of war and everything we we see like who he is this moment mm-hmm. and i it just hurts me and pains me and frustrates me that he chose that he went after the ring anyway and i get that like the ring overcame him and that's not really his fault so it just ultimately comes down to this is peter jackson's fault (laughs) (laughs) well if you think about like the way that the this movie is structured because they took um shelob out and and put her in return of the king so like as far as sam and frodo's story goes there's no like tension um, or there's like very little tension. It's, there's no obstacle. It's just well, I mean, there is there is an obstacle because they're literally like walking across Middle Earth, still. right? But no obstacle that has any kind of characterization or like greater feeling to it. Just empty space. Yeah, there's there's very little conflict um, that drives their story. So like, I understand the drive, like from like a from like a an adaptation perspective, being like, okay, so we need to give them. Um, like an obstacle or or, or a source of conflict um, for this to feel like to make it so that we can save Shelob for Return of the King and and like still have it feel like see, they're see that's places. my that's my thing though is when people are like oh well they needed to turn Faramir bad so that Frodo and Sam would have an obstacle they already had multiple obstacles in the book like you could have you could have heightened the you know heightened the tensions between Gollum and and Frodo and Sam and show show got more of Gollum putting you know driving the wedge in between Frodo and Sam and mm-hmm. ha- and keep Shelob's layer if you that's the problem is that if you don't have if you because they were so hell-bent on making Helm's Deep this big ass battle that's the climax <laughs> of the movie which yes it's cool I know it's a good it's a good movie but like in terms of the structure of like what I know it was Mm-hmm. I wish that they had kept Shelob's lair and everything in two towers because I think that could have been their obstacle. Mm-hmm. See, like, I think even if you do that, even if Faramir is just kind of this pause in their in their arc, if you pull Shelob into this movie, you're going to add even reducing Faramir's role like 40 minutes to this movie to establish well, see, okay, Shelob. Okay, so here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. If you do Shelob in two towers movie that means you can get rid of the unnecessary drama with aragorn dying but just kidding he's not actually dead because that doesn't happen at all in the book right at all we do not have this un, you know and we don't need oh i know why that happened too the aragorn dying thing because they talk about it they talk about it in the commentary my theory is that they needed to give they needed to give arwen something to do in this movie after they decided she's not going to be at helm's deep so (laughs) That's actually like not the reason they give in the commentaries. They talk about the reason that Aragorn goes over that cliff and they have this moment where he like nearly he nearly dies and separates him from the fellowship is because they needed someone from the main cast that we care about to see the threat coming for Helm's Deep so that the tension builds properly for an oncoming battle so that there's like some warning of what's coming both for the people in the movie and in the audience like so that it works for like a movie structure and how tension is built in film i still think there could have been better ways have legolas use his elf eyes <laughs> but it's so much more dramatic and you don't get that moment of him storming into the the throne room in helm's deep that's true 
There's no like dramatic. I know that's the. It's so so my 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 issue with that whole plotline is that I have like a whole list of cons of like why we don't need this, but the one pro is that it all leads up to him pushing the doors open in Helm's Deep, and that is a big enough reason to keep the the story. So. <laughs> like the the thing about adapting to I'll a movie. Allow it. Is that they have to cut so many of these like ancillary characters that deliver to us in the book things that move the plot along, but they now have to give that stuff to main characters and they need to make it flow properly in film. Right. In order to keep these narrative beats. And that's how you wind up with the way that the Arwen storyline got kind of splintered off and like added to the movie so that Aragorn has more of a through line because we're actually in his head some of the time, kind of. So like, and he's a main character, so he needs to have more of a through line across the three movies. They needed to separate someone and they thought like, well, why isn't it Aragorn should be the one to like see this because he's the one that ultimately convinces Theoden and he's the one who sees the threat for what it really is. Like that makes sense. That tracks from like a movie theming perspective. Mm -hmm. And then they're just like, well, how do we separate yeah. Aragorn? Push him off a cliff. I know, I know. It all. <laughs> and then poor Hama dies in that same battle, and it's terrible because Hama and gambling for life. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I, I, from like a movie perspective, I understand. I, I understand all of these things have a reason for why they did the plot lines the way they did. I still don't. I, I it's not my preferred version of two towers my preferred version of two towers has faramir being uh the good little cinnamon roll boy that he is in the books yeah. so what up it's mary cliff from the future as i was editing this i needed to add one more thing about movie faramir versus book faramir that i truthfully can't remember if i've shared on the podcast if i've tweeted about it if i made a tiktok about it it's all just blurring together at this point so i just needed to say it here just in case so again the sons of the steward scene while it's nice because it adds more backstory for faramir and boromir i don't think i can accept this as an explanation for faramir's actions because book faramir has the same daddy issues and the same grief that movie faramir has and he's still capable of turning away from the ring he doesn't for a moment want to use the ring because and this is another mistake I think that the movie makes. He learns early on from Frodo and Sam the truth about Boromir's death, and that's what turns him off from the ring. So I know that the character of Faramir is capable of turning Frodo and the ring away from him because book Faramir does it. And Peter Jackson just needed to stretch this plot line out so that Helm's Deep could be the climax of the movie. And that's, again, we only have Peter Jackson to blame. Okay, I've said my piece back to the pod. I'm I'm okay with Faramir being this a little more tortured, a little more broody, but they don't they don't commit to it enough, I think. Like Yeah. It's very muddled. So like I don't know that they had enough time to kind of work on what they wanted Faramir to be because I feel like there's like whiplash between this movie and That's then what I was gonna say, yeah. In, in Return of the King when we see him again. But. Yeah, some of it feels more like they wrote the Faramir for this movie to match the tone of this movie rather than like a total Actually character arc into Return his... of the King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is also slightly true of Eowyn. Mm, yeah. But not to the same degree it's true of Faramir. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you even get some of that whiplash within Two Towers because he's yeah. he's very nice to them at the end, which there's a, yeah, there's a scene with him. So we'll talk about that there. So our next scene is... The Forbidden Pool extended. It's literally just like 10 seconds of Faramir's dudes beating up on Gollum. Yeah. Why do they it. need to add that in? <laughs> I hate that. You literally only need like two punches to communicate what yeah. happened. 
Yeah, to show that like they hurt him. You're to ask a question, Mm -hmm. and then he gets scared by Gollum's schizophrenia. (laughs) He's like, "What? (laughs) What's happening here?" I love David Wenham's face during that. He's just like, "Uh." Uh. So the next scene that actually does have something is the glittering caves extended. So first of all, I don't think I ever fully understood that like from the books when Gimli and Legolas are fighting over like Mirkwood versus the glittering caves. I don't think I understand that like these are the glittering caves. So I just wanted to be like, guys, literally just go in there and then that's your field trip. Like it's over. You can count it, you know. So I don't think I ever understood that the caves that they go into are literally the glittering caves and they're at Helm's Deep. But that takes away from their bro time. Right? Yeah. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> also, I, I wanted I wanted the glittering caves to look more fantastical in the movie, but that's not what they did. See, that's why I didn't know. I didn't know until I saw that this scene was called the glittering caves, that those were the glittering caves, because they don't look very glittering. Yeah, it's just some like brown, like but caves. glittery paint. Yeah. We see Legless as being a very concerned mom over Aragorn. And it's like, Aragorn, you need to rest. You're no use to us when you're half dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that moment of Legless being, you know, concerned, scared mom for Aragorn. <laughs> and Eowyn comes over to Aragorn and is like, I'm, I've been ordered to go into the caves. You have to do something. I want to fight. And he's like, He's kind of condescending. I hate it. I don't know if it was meant to come off as condescending, but he's like, that's a very honorable position. And she's like, tending to the children and women? No, that's not. What do you mean? Stand up for me. You're my boyfriend. Stand up for me. (laughs) (laughs) Like he tells her in this scene, though, like, I don't have any control over that. What do you want me to do? I don't know. And I think he makes a good point, though, because like she's literally the last like Aomer's gone. Theoden's like gearing up to die so like Eowyn is like the only leader right now so like she needs to be down there (laughs) yeah that is that is one of the points he makes that they'll be looking to her if something bad happens so she needs Mm -hmm. to be there but she's still not happy about it Mm -hmm. and this is another one of my like cringe moments with Eowyn um yep (laughs) sure is (laughs) so she's yes aragorn's like i can't do anything i'm like i don't command anyone and she's like what do you mean like they like people will listen to you because they care about you and because they love you and then there's this long pause where Awen's like oh my god i just told a guy that i met yesterday that i love him (laughs) right god she has like this really intense look in her face when she's very intense and then she's like never mind bye and then runs off god (laughs) it's my least favorite aon scene it's the worst it's It's the worst aon scene it's not good it kind of goes into like crazy like not ex-girlfriend because they're not even a couple for them to be exes at any point but you know what i mean like it goes into like a very intense like obsessive look on her and i don't like it mm-hmm. it's de- it's i think it's supposed to be desperation like it's supposed to be desperation yeah. like because she also feels like even if she can't be on the front lines of this fight she's still gonna die here but she's not gonna die in any way that anyone will like remember there'll be no no valor yeah. in her in her death because she'll have just been waiting around to die in the caves but like this I think this scene, part of why it doesn't work and why it stands out is because it seems like it's part of a version of the Eowyn plot line that they decided not to go not to go with. Like, because there's kind of there's kind of two tracks of Eowyn across this movie. And in the extended, you get to see both of them. But in the theatrical, they trim some of the stuff. So it's less apparent where like the Eowyn in the horse girl scene and the Eowyn in the scene where 
uh, Aragorn like stops her blade and she parries him away and stuff. Th- those two characters are very different. And I think that both yeah. of those, those two versions of Eowyn were intended to be characterized differently depending on when they were written for the movie, I think. Mm. Um, but there, you can still see like some, some, some things related between the two of them. But like, so I think that this scene is part of whatever track that that horse girl scene was part of originally. <laughs> yeah, there are there are kind of like two Aeons. There's this Aeon who is madly in love with Aragorn and is like very obvious about it. The first man outside my family that's ever been nice to me. Oh god. Literally. Oh, poor thing. Oh no, poor thing. Even though my favorite my favorite Aeon scene is the scene where Wormtongue is in Theodred's uh at Theodred's bedside with her. That scene is so good. It's so creepy. It's so creepy, but it's so well done. It's so creepy. Um, and she yeah, and then yeah, and then like that's the other Aeon who is very like stoic and strong by herself, you know? Yeah. So. Like that's the same Aeon from the scene that parries Aragorn's blade. <laughs> right. Which is yeah, the one that's exactly. in the back. She's very yeah. So uh, whatever. So, oh, and then we also get a glimpse of her in the caves and she's like pulling her hair back to show that she's serious, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, And that's what, yeah, so that's what the scene is. Our next scene is a new scene, again, an added scene with the ints. And it's titled, so it's titled in quotes, Don't Be Hasty, Master Mariadoc. But Treebeard, he just says, don't be hasty. He says, don't be hasty, Master Mariadoc in a different scene. So I'm like, why would you why would you title that this scene with a quote that he doesn't even say here? Anyway, <laughs> semantics. And like I said, it's more int content. I will always take more int content. And- content. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Con- yeah. Content. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so they're in the middle of the int moot and Pippin has fallen asleep and he wakes up and he's like, have they decided anything? And Mary's like, no, they've been going all day. And Treebeard's like, decided? We only just finished saying good morning. And it's just more of that int humor from the books that I missed so much in the movies because they cut so much of their plot line out. That's like all the scene is really. It's just like more int humor and like really emphasizing that they're very slow moving and that they're taking a very long time to decide anything. Mm-hmm. So our next extended or it's actually an added scene surprises me because I thought for sure that there would be at least one extended or added scene that was during the Battle of Helm's Deep. But it's not. Our next scene doesn't come until basically the battle is over and it's last March of the Ents is when we see it. So I was really surprised that there wasn't more. Hel- and like, as I understand it, they have they, they edited the Battle of Helm's Deep down from 20 hours of footage. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah, surprised there wasn't more right. of that in extended. I think if they like added anything it would be violence um and then like they would lose their (laughs) they'd lose their pg-13 rating for the extended edition which is is what happened to the extended third hobbit movie which i'm really scared about i don't know if i i don't know if i want rated r really the third hobbit movie is rated r extended extended version is rated r for additional violence god i'm so scared (laughs) the entire movie is just one long battle like what did they do i know oh oh Oh, yikes. One long battle I do not care about. For real. It's got to be they beheaded a bunch of people. I don't know. Probably. Because they only got away with one per movie for, for these. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our next extended scene is the last march of the Ents, and it's Treebeard and Merry and Pippin have come upon Isengard, and we see the forest, we see Fangorn behind them making noise, and they're moving, and they're heading, they're leaving, and uh, th- uh, Treebeard says they have business with the orcs. And I appreciate that this is something from the book that happens during the Battle of Helm's Deep that they at least tried to include where the forest plays some part. Oh, and then that, yeah, that's the next scene, which is an added scene. Fangorn comes to Helm's Deep is there all the orcs and enemies are running away and they go into the forest and then they like get eaten or killed. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And Legolas looks horrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, actually, I read that as the opposite where he's like, he's like very proud of the forest. He's like, yeah, trees. <laughs> I've always read that look in Orlando Bloom's face is just like, oh, oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Much like it's hard Hammer. To tell with him, though. So, so not okay with whatever's our, happening over Legolas's there. Legolas's eyes are opened so wide and he looks so uncomfortable with what's happening. Right? Like, no one should be more afraid than Gimli in that moment. Do you think that he can see what's yeah. happening? Because yes. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Oh, yeah. yeah. So see. I think the reason why they ultimately decided to cut this part, because it's a very minor part of the battle. It's not, it doesn't add that much. But I think the reason they cut it is because the effect of the orcs, like, running off into the forest, it's just a static shot of the forest and them running in. And then there's a moment of silence. And then you just hear lots of, like, shrieking and trees move you hear a lot of noises so it's kind of left up to the imagination mm-hmm. but to me this with this effect it like it wasn't really done right to me it was almost like they played it more for humor it just it, it like didn't work well for me of is this supposed to be a humorous moment is this supposed to be a terrifying moment i don't know so like i feel like that's why they ultimately cut it because it didn't it didn't look right to me it's also one of those things that I wonder if it was cut because of test audiences. Maybe like people that weren't familiar with the books at all didn't understand oh, why these were like what? moving and able to do this when they weren't yeah. Ents because the Ents have faces and names and they have characterization. So I wonder if it was just some one of those things that wound up cut because of test audiences. But Legolas literally was like, the elves began it long ago, waking up the trees. Right, but if you don't know anything about this story and nothing about Lord of the Rings as a whole or like and you just are seeing this movie because like someone brought you to go see these movies or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. wouldn't you assume that that means the ends the ends um yeah i guess i i've always looked at them as like they're at least fangorn is full of their it's full of trees that are not quite ints they're not fully yeah. awake and sentient they're, they're called, so like um, they are ints but not fully they're called yorns Right, it's H U O R N. Yeah, like ho- like yeah, horns. Hu- horns. Hu- yeah, what you said. There's a, there's a U and an O in that word, and I'm not sure yeah. which to pronounce. I think it's H U O R N. Yeah, H U O R N. Um, but without um, in like the theatrical version, without the the tree that tries to kill Mary and Pippin, mm-hmm. the only moving yeah. trees. Are the ends? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because they also did um, cut from the theatrical edition. You only have Legolas saying like, "This forest is old, very old. It's like felt pain and anger, and like that's mm-hmm. all you hear." So you don't hear more from extended edition where he kind of explains more about like the trees being alive and feeling things. So if you're going to cut all of that, you kind of have to cut this. 
Yeah, that really makes it seem like it was a test audience thing to me that they also cut that dialogue from Legolas. Hmm. Let's see. Okay, so one wiki to rule them all says horns (laughs) were a living race of ancient, slow-moving trees whom the Ents cared for and tended to. It's their livestock. They're called tree shepherds, tree herders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that settles that sort of. Our next scene is great. So actually, the the next uh, the last three scenes are all new to the extended edition. They are not in, inclu- included in the theatrical edition at all. So our next scene is called the final tally, and I love every bit of it. It's Legolas and Gimli like wrapping up their little subplot of having their competition of who can kill more people, and this is this is book Legolas at his best and it's he's like I j-, he walks in so confidently he's like I got what is it like 82 I think 42 42, 42. final count which is not 42 because we see him kill at least 20 guys like at least <laughs> he kills he 17 point. before Gimli kills two like three minutes in yeah. yeah nonsense where would he have lost time I'm trying to think where would he like did he get knocked out at some point He's trying to get the torch runner that that wasted a bunch of time. Maybe he's mm-hmm. not he's not counting anyone he didn't kill with an arrow to the body. So he's not counting the guys he knocked off the ladders. I would count he that. He can't be. I would absolutely count that. Because if you're paying attention like cuz I don't know how well, many then you'd have to you'd, you'd the have to count. Yeah. That is oh yeah, I could yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so so he comes up. He's so confident. Gimli is like, "Oh, that's pretty good. Too bad I got four. I'm. Si- he says I'm sitting on forty three. That's and- not bad for an Elvish prince. <laughs> I myself am sitting pretty on forty three. Yes. And then my favorite anachronistic line in the movies. <laughs> he's twitching because he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system. <laughs> So the body he's sitting on, Legolas sees it move and Legolas shoots it and then says, 43. And Gimli says, this one was mine. And Legolas says, he was twitching because he's got my axe lodged in his nervous system. (laughs) It's so good. I am very excited for you to watch um, Extended Return of the King just for the Legolas and Gimli shenanigans. Like, there isn't a whole lot, but like one of my favorite scenes with them is in Return of the King. (laughs) Oh, that makes me happy. That makes me so happy. Because this was this is just such a fun scene. Mm-hmm. I get like I get so everything that they ended up not including, which is what we're, which is everything that we'll be talking about till the end of this episode. I get why they did it because it doesn't it like when you include all of this, you really drag out the story after the climax, and you're kind of waiting for things to be wrapped up. But mm-hmm. it's like, oh no, we're still going. Oh no, we're we're still going. Okay, maybe ne- no still going okay so i get why they cut all of this it's true to the experience of reading the books for the first time though (laughs) oh yeah oh for sure for sure right (laughs) um and mostly these can be i would just say that these are all all of these scenes are more for like the character moments as opposed Mm -hmm. to like what they do for the plot that's always what gets cut out of movies so this next scene uh, i don't know if this next scene is my favorite or not uh it's flotsam and jetsam (laughs) <laughs> and it is Marion Pippin at Isengard. Another chapter title. Uh, yes, another chapter title, which fun fact, uh, it wasn't until I read that chapter that I learned flotsam and jetsam are real words and not just the and names the eels. of the eels. And- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not the eels from Little Mermaid. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so this scene, 
It's so silly and it's so unnecessary, but I still love it so much. Merry and Pippin are looking on at Saruman and they're like, oh, he looks, he doesn't look very happy at all. Merry is like measuring himself up against Pippin and it's like, oh, good, I'm taller than him again. Back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this moment where Pippin goes, no, everything's not back to normal. And you have a moment of like, oh my God, is Pippin like doing like very deep existential reflection about how like nothing is ever going to be the same again. No. Then he says, I'm starving. (laughs) And so they follow this trail of food floating in the water until they find Saruman's storeroom. They find that dank stash. And it's so (laughs) perfectly shot. So they, the way that like you show them walking into the room and then it zooms out and the music swells and it's very triumphant and you can just, you just feel the joy in these hobbits and the room is packed with food and they're so happy and then we zoom in on two barrels of hobbit weed <laughs> what's it called something long old toby it's um it's long bottom leaf. Bottom leaf. not old toby long bottom leaf. That's it. That's it. Yeah. different different scene it's where mary strange. says it's a different different scene where mary's like i could have a go for a whiff of old toby yeah 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 long bottom leaf They take it and they're like, oh, this is great. One barrel for you, one for me. And Pippin is very sweet. And he's like, should we share with Treebeard? And Mary, (laughs) uh, Mary is like, I don't think he'll like that because, I mean, this is basically like his dead, like dead leaves. I don't think Treebeard will like that. He'll be really uncomfortable with that. He wouldn't understand. And so they're like, okay. Pippin's like, oh, I understand. Don't be hasty. (laughs) Yeah. And then they just like start cackling maniacally. We zoom out and we see Treebeard walking over and like finding them. And he's like peeking into the room like, what are they doing? While smoke is starting to come out of the room. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Also, the, the like callback so kind of to fellowship when before they start following the apples. Because the apple, like Pippin finds the apple and he just kind of looks up. It's like, what? Because he's going to get hit in the head with another apple. Right. But he's like checking for a tree or something. I I think that was intended to be a callback to fellowship. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, I love that scene. Oh, my God. It's so dumb, but it just makes me laugh so much. It's so good. I love seeing the hobbits be hobbits. Also, it also perfectly sets up for one of my favorite scenes in like the whole series, which is the beginning of Return of the King, when they show up to Isengard and Merry and Pippin are just high out of their mind. <laughs> yeah. And Gimli's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> We've been worried about you this whole time and you're sitting and here you're just- eating. <laughs> Ooh, okay, all right, we got one more scene and then we are done. Ooh, so ooh. this last scene is called Farewell to Faramir. Suddenly, like we were talking about earlier with Fair getting like whiplash from Faramir because he is very nice to them now and he's helping them to escape. I did kind of wonder watching theatrical edition when they're like, Asgiliath is being attacked and then for some reason, Frodo with the one ring is just able to slip away unnoticed. Okay. So they do show Faramir's like, oh, take these storm drains. They'll lead you out into the forest. Sam says, you have shown your quality, the highest quality. And the look on Faramir's face, I was screaming because you know in that moment he was like you know the approval coming from this hobbit that i barely know 
feels better than approval from my father, almost. Yep. Well, the Shire must be a wonderful place where gardeners are held in high regard. Oh. So, okay, question. Do we think that was actually, do we think that was Faramir like just being nice? Or do we think Faramir actually thinks gardeners are held in a high regard in the Shire? I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Because they don't know anything about hobbits, so. Right. Like that line is delivered pretty genuinely. Oh, I don't know. Both. <laughs> it's so wholesome. Right. And then Faramir grabs Gollum by the throat. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, we're going to Mordor. Gollum is going to show us the way. And Faramir, he says Kirith Ungol. Yes. I believe it's supposed to be Seer. Is that cor- I hate that. That's correct. That. The C's well, at the beginning of words in Elvish are pronounced like K's. Shoot. It is. Man, Kirith I spent Ungol, a lot of time. Celeborn, Celebrimbor. I spent a lot of chapters pronouncing it wrong then. I don't care. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to keep saying Sirith Ungol for the rest of my life. <laughs> it just sounds better to me. Yeah. So uh, he's like, is it called Sirith Ungol? And Gollum's like, no. Okay, maybe. And he warns them. And this is like setting up, you know, foreshadowing and whatnot that the way that they are going is dangerous like obviously they're going into mordor but the path that they are choosing is very fraught with danger and that there is some kind of a monster that lurks up there i don't know maybe we'll see it and so they go off and he faramir grabs Gollum one more time and he slams him up against the wall after frodo and sam have left and at first glance I thought there's this splotch on the wall where Gollum is slammed up against. And at first, I thought it was like a painting or a drawing of a spider. And I was like, that is good. Because obviously, we know Shelob is up there. I think it's just a random splotch, but... You were just reading into it. Uh, yeah, maybe I was reading it. But like I was watching it and just at first glance, I was like, oh, my God, they have this like drawing of a spider on the wall as he's like yelling at Gollum about taking them this way. And like, you better not hurt them. And I was like, that's like really good and subtle. I love that. So if it was intentional, awesome. If not, I don't know. I claim I claim ownership of this theory then. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have we have Faramir is like a big mama bear all of a sudden and he's like if you hurt them I will kill you and I'm like this is very intense considering you were gonna kill Frodo like 30 minutes ago but right <laughs> slow down yeah as they're leaving Sam tells Gollum he's like you know Frodo tried to protect you he was just doing his best to keep you safe he didn't want them to hurt you that wasn't his fault no hard feelings right and Gollum's like yeah no hard feelings definitely not holding a grudge <laughs> definitely not gonna lead you to your deaths I wouldn't dream of it <laughs> and that is that is the end of of the extended edition content two nice. and a half hours later I'm so sorry <laughs> it's fine it's like the theatrical runtime. yeah <laughs> I know. This is the second time that's happened, too. That's what's embarrassing. No worries. This isn't the first time I've recorded an episode this long. Okay. So, yeah, that's. Do you guys have any. Is, is there anything you wanted to add or say about the extended edition? I don't know. I think, like I said earlier, I think the the Two Towers benefits the most from all the additional content, um, minus the Eowyn scene. Um, and minus the Gandalf scene. <laughs> minus that Gandalf scene. Minus a co- okay, let's uh, a couple scenes. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. This one's my least favorite, but it's fun. It like it has cool moments and stuff. So and it's not like yeah, it's not like it sucks. It's just like of the three that are all very high quality, this one's like eh, you know. 
not the one that I go to. (laughs) Whereas, like, for me, Return of the King is my least favorite one, and this is my favorite one, and Fellowship's in the middle. Yeah. Um, Because I I love the the vibe of this movie, because it's... We we talked about this forever when we were doing the movies by minute stuff with it, that um, this movie is pretty much a war movie, Mm -hmm. or it's trying to be. And for the most part, I think it works. Like, its tone is very different. They do a lot less stuff that's, like, overly fantastical. Like, they don't do anything beyond the Ents. Like, the Ents are the most fantastic thing in this movie. But they couldn't not do them. So they, like, they were kind of, they kind of had their hands tied there. Like, if the if the Ents were, like, just a race of people that lived in the woods, like, Peter Jackson probably would have been happier to have a war movie and just, like, still have them. Because that seems like what he really wanted to do. Mm. Um, but he had to have like tree people uh, because they pretty much just cut anything or reduced the feeling of anything that was more fantastical in this movie. Yeah. Like the glittering caves are like pretty mundane. They cut the moving trees like aside from the ants. There's no magic in this movie other than um, removing the possession of Theoden, which is like very know, understated. Uh, uh, just Saruman made a bomb. That's, that's not magic. Magical that's, to me. that's science. <laughs> Just science. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. But oh, how could fire undo stone? stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just I just love the tone and the vibe of this movie. And I was a movie Faramir hater when I was in high school and I saw these movies for the first time. I was. I very much was. And over time, but I just came around easy. on them more and more. It's easy to not like movie Faramir because movie Faramir is a jerk. He's such a dick. Uh, like, and it feels like with the with the conclusion, even the extended, it feels like there's like one more scene missing in his character arc for me overall. Like, I think with the extended yeah. stuff, it works for the most part, but it feels like there's just one scene missing where he's kind, where he actually is told how they plan to destroy the ring, like them yeah. telling him, or yeah, like under threat of duress. Like Frodo is like still under duress and actually like tells. Faramir what they actually intend to do because why would he let them go with no protection like why would he like even him letting him go this way and like being nice is like it's all well and good like it works in the in the the frame of reference here but having a better of under better understanding of the fact that they actually are going to destroy the ring and like how they intend to do it I think makes some of that arc make more sense to me well I mean because you have Sam like angrily telling him right yeah we needed, we needed, which that frustrates me to no end too, because we have this scene before they go to Osgiliath where Sam is yelling at him and is like, stop being mean to Frodo. Can't you see what the ring is doing to him? That would have been a great chance, Sam, for you to say, like, don't you get it? This drove your brother mad and that's why he's dead. But it's only, you know, for the convenience of plot that Sam doesn't say it then, because that's really what like starts Faramir thinking that like maybe this isn't a good idea and then of course when he sees the Nazgul come after the ring too is like the final you know push over the edge but um we did need like one more line from Sam in that moment to be like be like don't you get it this is why your brother went mad that's why we're trying to destroy it doesn't because he says that later on right I think it needed to happen a little earlier and like have a little more chance to stew and even just like a little bit of a little bit of seeing Faramir like reflect on that mm. for it to feel like that moment at the end when he hears the monologue uh to be less of a 180 yeah because the monologue is really good and it certainly stirs my heart but like the way that Faramir is depicted across this movie <laughs> it seems like it's it's just it's like one step too far. It's not even like it's not even that's like really too far. It's just happens really fast at the end of the movie. Okay, so I know that I I I agree with you, but let me just let me just um 
turn the feels up. Do you okay. think that the rousing monologue that Sam gives at the end of this movie reminds him of Boromir's speech oh, no. in Australia? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, that's why he's like, okay. Well, I think I think I'm about to hurt Mary Clay uh, with what I'm about to say. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> I feel like you're about to hurt me too. Well, well, we've talked about this before. So, like, I think part of the reason that we, you and I think the part of the reason that Boromir is so protective of Mary and Pippin, especially yes, in the extended yes, version of the movie, yeah. is because he sees in Mary and Pippin the relationship that he has with Faramir. Yeah. And I think Faramir has that same response to Sam and Frodo. Oh, my God. Because Sam yeah. is, like, perennially positive. He has hope. He stands up for himself. He's clearly brave and steadfast and will do what he has to do to protect Frodo. Mm-hmm. And in Sam, Faramir sees Boromir. Boromir. And in Frodo's fragile, abused state, he sees himself. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, I got, yeah, vibes when uh, it, the scene in Fellowship when Boromir is teaching the hobbits how to sword fight and then he like accidentally nicks Pippin or whatever. And it's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. It's this moment that like if anyone who grew up with siblings will recognize of like oh my god i'm so sorry i hurt you don't tell mom i'm so sorry right? here you can hit me too <laughs> hit me back like you don't have to tell mom it's okay it seems very big brother there um yeah. so yeah that's uh, totally makes sense yeah because yeah. if you're really paying attention to our fellowship Ormir is always the one that's with mary and pippin right it's not just in that extended scene he's always with them right he yeah he's the one that i think he's the one that grabs them when they jump over in, in moria the, the, the yeah. random gap in moria and yeah. and then he's the one after moria when they're crying and aragorn's like we have to go boromir's like give them a moment good mm-hmm. lord i wish you would have said that in that in that flashback with faramir when when denethor shows up i wish that boromir had said give us a moment for pity's sake <laughs> just just i wish just a call back yeah or a call at that point it would have been a Call, call forward, forward. cuz cuz that would have happened before yeah whatever <laughs> we'll let you end your episode now. yeah sorry like you just you like read a flashback yeah. again and like you mentioned the give us some over pity sake it's just like every time when i think of that scene i always wish that boromir said that <laughs> give us a moment that's literally like what they feel they're like good lord we just want to sit here and drink without right? our abusive father coming in to ruin it for once okay yeah i'm gonna wrap up this episode because oh my god we've been recording for literally the length of fellowship of the ring theatrical <laughs> edition norman and cassandra thank you so much for coming on it was so great to get to talk with you guys um where can people find you on the internet um, you can find us and a bunch of other cool podcasts on duelinggenre.com. Um, and we, you know, host a little podcast called Lord of the Rings Minute. And uh, over 670 episodes later, we're done. Um, so <laughs> if, you, if you want to go back and listen to us talk for hours and hours and hours and hours about these three movies, uh, you can do so. Wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, like divide the number of episodes by roughly five. And that's how many hours total the podcast was, I think. No, 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 no. No way. It's got to be close. No. Because most episodes are around 20 minutes. There's five a week. Oh, my it's God. It's 100 minutes. So Don't it's like not this. quite an hour. There was, the one, there was like two or three when I was on with y'all that were For more like than 30 minutes. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> there was one that was almost an hour. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a couple of those sprinkled across. Like our longest episode is over an hour. It's over an hour. Yeah. Oh my god! I'm glad that it wasn't me that that was the one over an hour because obviously, as you can see by the runtime of this right? one, that 
That's what I'm talking about is a proud member of WBE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBE.org where you will find all of our shows like Bacon and Eggs. Howdy, Yokes. I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Hill. And we host Bacon and Eggs, a movie lovers podcast. It's the most roll your eyes, I've seen it before concept for a show. But with new hosts, I promise. Each week, we sit down together and watch a beloved movie. We start by looking at some critical and concrete points and let our conversation flow from there. We've covered all sorts of movies, from Jaws to Little Women. From the Lego Movie to the Lego Movie 2. From Marvel to Star Wars. From Back to the Future to Back to the Future Part 2. And tangents from our frustrations with fast food. To discussing our fear of the Mighty Loon. So if you want a podcast that makes you laugh, download Bacon and Eggs, a movie lover's podcast. With new episodes available every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, and now on WBNE.org. Ghostbusters 2! I, I, my, my hope and dream was that you would say that. The cover is by Graphite, aka Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod, and you can also join the Facebook group, which is linked in the description. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsApp and Instagram at MC turn down for what you can support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Tolkien about pod and you can become a sponsor like Katie Katie thank you so much for supporting the podcast I appreciate all of your support throughout all of this terrible terrible year <laughs> um, you could also join the three dollar tier which will give you access to discord where we are playing a lot of among us we're having a lot of among us game nights if you want to watch me be terrible at being imposter I'm talking I walked into a room, killed someone, not realizing that three other people were in the room and saw me do it. So you can get you can get access to that by becoming a three dollar tier patron at patreon.com slash pod. And very exciting, we are coming up on the one year anniversary of WBNE. That's right, our network is one year old. And to celebrate that, we are doing a live stream with a bunch of the WBNE creators. And that will be January 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As I'm recording this, we're still in the process of planning all the details, but it sounds like we're probably going to do some Among Us. Maybe we'll do a Kahoot, play some kind of games of some sort, answer questions in the chat, that kind of a thing. But all of that information will be shared on social media, definitely. So make sure you are either following me on social media or you're following the podcast at Tolkien About Pod. All right, cool. Do you guys have any parting words for the audience? Thanks for having us on your podcast like three times. Right? Yeah. It's fun talking to you. It is. I love having people come back and talk passionately about Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I could do this uh, forever, pretty much, which we have. Clearly. So. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that's what I'm talking about. Mm